Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Rem and Sam podcast. It's a solo edition of the Rem and Sam podcast. It's our guy, Ian Fadaport's birthday, the day we're recording this. Happy birthday to our guy, Ian Fadaport. He has the day off. And I, I think he took the guys from IT with him. I think they're all out having a good time. It's Fadaport, the guys in IT, and Tommy DeVito's agent. I think they all went out with Tommy DeVito, DeVito's agent. He's paying, or at least they, they told me the plan is to get Tommy DeVito's agent to pick up the tab for Fadaport's birthday. And I think it's not just a birthday dinner. Is it a business dinner? I don't want to say too much. Let's just say Fadaport, he's got the sources. He's got the connects. It was only a matter of time before him and Tommy DeVito's agent crossed paths. So it is a solo edition, but the show must go on. We still have an episode for you guys. And there's still there's still a lot happening, a lot to get to. The NFL season is, you know, we're kind of in that time now where the NFL season is, I mean, after this week, there's only four games left. I've t- um, technically a month left of games. This is kind of the stretch run now where, you know, it, the, the, the league is definitely like kind of taking shape. And this is definitely the time of year where teams are getting hot, teams are getting cold. But I think some of the teams that are getting hot and cold, it's like, are these, are these really the teams? The Cowboys are actually, are they, they're, they're the best team in the NFC. And I know the Niners are, you know, they're right there. They killed the Cowboys as well earlier in the season. They killed the Eagles recently. They're definitely emerged as the number one team in the NFC, but the Cowboys now after beating the Eagles and more importantly, I think playing two really good games against the Eagles because this was a big year for that matchup. I mean, going back to last year, I know those two teams were still the top of the playoff race and still like competitive teams in the NFC, still teams with Super Bowl aspirations. But, you know, in those matchups, we never got Dak and Jalen Hurts against each other. I think, I don't remember exactly which order it was, but Hurts was out for one and then Dak was out for the other. Cooper Rush versus Jalen Hurts and then Garner Minshew versus Dak Prescott. And this year, we actually get the teams in the regular season, full strength, both times. Dak Prescott plays well in both games. And I mean, he's playing fantastic. He's now number one in the MVP odds. But I think one of the things that's really been underlooked this year for the Cowboys is you know, Mike McCarthy's play calling. And we got, you know, we got to be honest here. Like, we got to be fair. And, you know, I I think we were, me and Sam were definitely not against taking a shot or two at Mike McCarthy. I'm sure if you check the tapes, it's happened once or twice. But, I mean, the Cowboys offense hasn't missed a step this year. And if you go and look the last couple of years under Kellen Moore, obviously, you know, he's been the offensive coordinator there. He moves over to the Los Angeles Chargers. If you look at the stats under Kellen Moore, the offense was fantastic. I think even two years ago, it finished first in the NFL in points or yards. I know last year, maybe a little bit of a step back, but still in twenty in 2022, fifth in points, eighth in yards, 2021, second in points, fourth in yards, 2020, definitely a down year, 2019, sixth in points and 20th in yards but i mean the scoring and the just the overall offense and i think the the script that the cowboys had laid out against the eagles the opening drive was fantastic i think just in general the play calling hasn't missed a beak and mccarthy again mckellen moore was one of those guys that i think everybody around the league like kind of unanimously was like 
I mean, he is good, and he's definitely a very, very good offensive coordinator. And I know there's head coaching buzz for him. Who knows if he maybe he just ends up taking the the Chargers job. But definitely, like you're like, okay, this guy's a good offensive coordinator. McCarthy, with the way things ended, you know, having him there to start the Dallas tenure was like, okay, we know this guy, modern NFL McCarthy, maybe doesn't have to do these things. But I mean, McCarthy and that modern NFL, it's been fantastic this year. Again, they haven't missed a step. They've, you know, even with Tony Pollard, like not being fully fantastic, and maybe you go and say, hey, they're not able to make and utilize, you know, Tony Pollard to full potential, but maybe it's just Tony Pollard taking a larger role. He's just, maybe he's not, you know, doing the the Austin Eckler 100% the way Austin Eckler did. But, you know, they're they're using Pollard. They're using Dowdle. They're getting him in the mix. It seems like CeeDee Lamb's taking a step up, just finding ways to manufacture plays for him, get him involved maybe even more than the way Kellen Moore used him. So this year, I mean, fourth in yards again and first in points, first in total points scored. I don't know if that's uh, per game. I'm just looking at their team page right now because of the, the bye weeks. But McCarthy's play calling this year, it's been good. And Dak is definitely, Dak, you know, Dak playing the best football of his career has definitely helped. But maybe, you know, Kellen Moore goes over to Justin Herbert. And I know Staley has definitely had his, you know, he's definitely number top whatever for first coach, fired head coach, replacement type guy. But, you know, it's definitely not been the best Justin Herbert season, and it has been the, ba- the best Dak Prescott season. And not just the season, but we talked a-, a little bit about it in the picks preview with Sam on the Friday pod. And if you guys haven't listened to the Friday pod, I know we do the picks and stuff, but we had Papa Price on the Friday pod. I mean, Sam can explain the connection. It's all on there. He's awesome. Warriors fan, Bay Area, Raiders. I mean, it's all, you know, classic Bay Area guy. It's awesome. So go check out the Papa Price pod that we did on Friday. But, we, you know, we talked about the seven-game stretch that Dak Prescott has had. And now, you know, he played the Eagles eight-game stretch. It's like, you know, in the old NFL, the 16-game season, a half a year. Like, this is now a half-a-season stretch where, I mean, the efficiency from Prescott has been awesome. And I know last year, he led the league in picks had that game against the Niners where he threw a bunch of picks and then had the game against the Cardinals earlier in the year as well, where only ended up with one pick in that game. But that was the pick at the end of the game that, you know, in the red zone, over the middle of the field, cost him the game. He wasn't throwing over the middle of the field earlier in the year. But if you look in NFL history, eight game stretches where the quarterback has thrown 23 or more touchdowns in less than two interceptions, because that's what Dak has done right now. 23 touchdowns, two interceptions over the last game, eight games. Only guys to do that are 2014 Rodgers had a 12-game stretch where he had 34 touchdowns, two picks, 122 rating. Won the MVP in 14. He also had a nine-game stretch in 2020. 27 touchdowns, two picks, 122 rating again. Won the MVP that year. Lamar, his MVP season actually did it. I know maybe some of the yardage stuff, if you looked at him compared to some of these other guys, at least from a passing standpoint, wouldn't have been there. But, you know, again, the touchdowns and the efficiency was there. Had a 10-game stretch in 2019. His MVP season, 25 touchdowns, one interception. In 07, Brady, I mean, you know, one of the greatest quarterback seasons we've ever seen. Eight-game stretch, 30 touchdowns to two picks, 
136 rating, obviously the 50 touchdown season. He won the MVP that year as well. So the only guy that did that over eight games and didn't win the MVP in a season was 2015 Russell Wilson. Had 25 touchdowns, two picks in the last eight games of the season. But the first eight games of 2015, nine touchdowns, six interceptions. It was almost like, you know, kind of balancing out his, you know, back to normal production a little bit. Slow start to start the season. Hot streak to end the season. And, you know, they were feisty in the playoffs that year as well. And definitely much better than the first stretch of that season showed. But Dak's first five games this season, you know, five touchdowns to four picks. Like we said, it's that Niners game in that Cardinals game. But he has been awesome these last couple of games. The Cowboys look fantastic. And, you know, I know he beat up on the bad teams. But he did play well against this Eagles team twice. And I know, you know, you could look at that and go, well, what does the Philly defense really look like right now? I know some of the numbers in the secondary are the strongest. But again, Dak against just good teams. And Philly, regardless, is still a good team. Still one of these. The, the, these are still, you know, the top three teams in the NFC. Dallas, Philly, the Niners. We're not going to disrespect the Lions as well, too. We're going to make sure to shout out to our guy, Champ. We're going to make sure to include the Lions fans. But, you know, to be in the mix with these teams, play good games. And I think for the most part, you know, mistake-free football, which again has been the big question for Dak Prescott. So, you know, if we're looking big picture here, I don't think anybody really has won the MVP. And just looking at the NFL in general, outside of the, the Niners, and you know, maybe uh we should we should say that, yeah, the Niners have stood out, but outside of the Niners, nobody else has really separated themselves. The Eagles now have, you know, again, had contested matches with the Cowboys. So you'd have to say both of those two teams are really similar, whereas the Niners have dominated those teams. The Chiefs, you know, we could go through the AFC and all those teams. And again, the Lions are in the mix, but haven't separated themselves away. So this is the time of year. This is the stretch run where whatever team is going to get hot is going to make the run. Whatever player is going to get hot, like the MVP is probably going to be won in these last four games these last five games, you know, whatever the streak ends up being. And if Dak Prescott can continue this again, the way he's playing is compared to these other MVPs. The Cowboys can continue to stay on top of their division as well, too, on top of the NFC. It's going to be, it's going to be tough because, you know, the, the other guys in the mix right now, like we said, the other quarterbacks, the case is just in terms of the team strength and, and combined with the, individual performance. You know, if Purdy is the other guy, like people around the like Sam is one of them. Like people are just reluctant to want to have Purdy and want to actually give Purdy the MVP. And it's fair. The Niners are one of the best teams in the NFL. Again, like we said, they're actually the one team in the NFL that has separated themselves. But Dak's efficiency, if the Cowboys keep winning and as long as they're on top, it's uh he, you know, he's he's the number one in the MVP odds right now and I think it's it's kind of fair so you know a, a lot of these guys that had the stretch and won the MVP and you know the the like the guys that were the the random one-off MVPs it's interesting because Dak is the guy where you know he's definitely like winning the MVP based on his statistical performance this season meaning like we have a bunch of years of playoff games with Dak Prescott where big picture in the league, like we would just still rather have these other quarterbacks over him. Like, yeah, we would rather have Mahomes. We would rather have Burrow. 
you know, Lamar and, you know, he has his own playoff issues, but Hurts making his playoff runs, you know, Dak in the playoffs right now versus Hurts in the playoffs. And I know that maybe is definitely a closer case. And Hurts has had his struggles in the playoffs, even last year when they made the Super Bowl run. But nobody, you know, even like, like Matt Ryan didn't necessarily have the big standout playoff moments the way Dak Prescott did when, when Matt Ryan won his MVP, you know, he kind of had, he, he had his playoff moment that MVP season, you know, after winning that in the, in the Super Bowl against the Patriots, they blow the 28 to three lead. You know, most of his playoff games were the younger stretch of his career. And then he actually had a large stretch of his career where he didn't even make the playoffs. So in a weird way, not even making the playoffs can be more beneficial versus having these big glaring moments like Dak. So the fact that Dak has these moments in the past that I think are still going to linger in people's minds headed into these playoff games, I think that's going to affect him in this MVP conversation as well, too. Because, like, again, looking at the numbers, he's playing as well as these other MVP guys. Whereas Purdy, you know, he played well in both of his playoff games. I think people, at least in that Shanahan Niner system, trust him. I know I definitely trust him. And if, you know, if he doesn't get hurt, especially after this regular season now, the people that think that the Niners are winning that game, their case is really strong. So Purdy doesn't have those moments to necessarily make people doubt him outside of the regular season games this season. And I guess if you want to point to his low draft status and college stuff or whatever, but Dak almost, you know, Dak being around is almost going to be the one thing I think that hurts him in this MVP conversation more than anything. But again, he is definitely been playing like it the Eagles defense you know definitely some question marks but it's strange because I think a lot of people I don't know if we want to say they didn't we didn't like what Jonathan Gannon was doing with the Eagles defense last year but it seemed like from a schematic standpoint they were very conservative but if you go back and look like I mean clearly he was getting the best out of Darius Slay and James Bradbury because those guys were playing a lot better this year and you know some of the stuff especially at the corner position there can be big swings, big up and down, big up and down years. I mean, you know, you see it with Stephon Gilmore, for example, on the Cowboys. He is, and he was awesome on the Colts too. Like I, I said in the moment when it, when we got rid of him, I didn't like it. Just getting rid of good players and uh, him on a valuable contract as well too. Didn't make any sense. And I think a lot of that stemmed from his side of things as well too, more so than the, the Colts side of things. It's just, uh, unfortunate to see that guy go, but you know, for, uh, for the corners, you can definitely have these big swing in years. But, you know, this this is definitely one of them for Philly because the numbers say that they're one of the worst secondaries in the league. And I think, you know, the defensive line, I, don't, I know their defensive line is not getting as many sacks as they were last year because it was a historic sack number. It was 70 plus overall. But, you know, to add Carter in the mix and just the physicality that they present, the, the, the challenge against offensive lines for this defensive line is still there. The defensive line is not any weaker, so it's not like they're not getting the pressure to help the secondary. It's just, you know, the secondary is struggling. I think the linebackers are playing well, too. It's just the Eagles, like we talked about all year, it's strange with the Eagles because I don't, I don't think the Eagles, like the Eagles are not like the Nuggets. The Nuggets can do whatever they want in the regular season right now. It's not going to matter. We're going to trust them headed into the playoffs. They have Jokic, unless, you know, obviously, unless there's injuries, they're going to be the number one team in the West. Like, yeah, we trust Philly to be one of the best teams in the league, but we don't trust them just to 
oh, all of a sudden we're going to flip the switch and just run through the NFC. Again, the Niners are the one teams that have actually separated themselves at this point in the league. So I know they played well. Besides the Jets' loss, you know, it's their only bad loss. And same with the Cowboys, too. Like, Philly, Philly and Dallas are almost identical teams at this point. And Hurts and Dak being almost identical quarterbacks. And there's an age thing with Hurts as well, too, if you're looking big picture and wanting to take him. But Dak has definitely been proving himself these last couple of games. And he just, you know, he continues to play well. And it's like, okay, they're going to play a good team. It's going to drop off at some point. But the streak continues. The Philly matchups, not throwing a pick against Philly. Again, even with the, with the secondary, like those are individually good players. And, you know, you're a Dak Prescott. You know, not, not throwing a pick in those games is definitely a win. But, you know, to finish the season, the, you know, Bills, Dolphins, Lions, a tough three-game stretch before they wrap up with the Commanders. So, again, this is, this is the time of year. They're, they're, they're heating up. The Dolphins are going to be tough. The Lions, that Lions, that Lions-Cowboys game week 17 is like an early playoff game. Maybe, who knows what the, the divisions look like at that point. Where I guess, you know, Philly's going to be in the mix the whole time. So Dallas is going to have to play all of their guys all season if they want to make a playoff spot. But that's going to be like an early playoff matchup. These are all going to be like early playoff matchups. Because again, nobody, all these teams are close. All these teams are too close. So these this is the deciding time of the season. But, you know, the Niners, again, are the one team that have separated themselves they, you know, it's a feisty game against the Seahawks. Like we talked about in the picks, you know, you get Drew Locke in there, but you get him in the first game in too. So we need, we need to come up for a term, throw a pause in there. We need, we need to make up a term. There we go. We need to make up a term for when a guy gets in for one game and just, you know, get the, cause Sam always says it when, when, when you don't have a lot of tape on a guy or you just haven't had a lot of looks in a season or whatever. It's just that newness boost, that freshness boost, that first start because Drew Locke has to play next week. I mean, he's playing the one of the best defenses in football and looks like kind of decent. You know, the Niners are feisty. It's a divisional game. Like, again, all the things were there for the game to be feisty, but they still managed to get the win. McCaffrey on the first play goes for almost a touchdown. You know, two two touchdowns, two picks for drew lock and almost a 10 point game, but Seattle hanging around. And like we were talking about with the, with the MVP race, I know people are wanting to give it to a quarterback and we might, we might do something and discuss this further with Fataport in further episode. Cause again, our guy Fataport will continue to join us for the NFL season in the future. Happy birthday. Follow our guy Fataport on Twitter. If I haven't said that already at Ian Fataport, go wish him a happy birthday too, while you're at it. Go look at the fantasy stuff. Go win money on the parlays that he's just here. It's all good stuff over there on the Fetterport Twitter. So go give our guy a follow. And we we might talk about this further with him, but have, have the receivers have just been the have they just been the best position in football this year? And I know, you know, I know Tyreek is, you know, and like we've said all season, you know, he's the guy we would take number one if we were building a team. He statistically right now is having the best season. He probably has the most likely case of any of these guys to actually win the MVP or probably end up being offensive player of the year. But it just seems like every couple of weeks, a different guy takes a turn being the number one receiver in the league. And every guy has gotten hot this year. Every guy has kind of 
definitely like, like, you know, week one, Tyreek had his 215 yard game, two touchdowns, but weeks three through eight was, that was like the AJ Brown stretch of the season. He was 138 and a half yards a game, five touchdowns over that stretch. Week six through 10 was like the CD lamb stretch of the season, 154 yards a game, three touchdowns over that stretch. And then the last, the last three games now, it really has been Debo Samuel that has been like, it's a, he's taking his turn now to be like the best, most dynamic guy in the league. And the yardage, 127 total yards a game, receiving and rushing. Still, still fantastic. Definitely a little bit behind those guys. But six touchdowns in the last three games and two, two touchdowns rushing, two touchdowns receiving, one rushing two weeks ago, and then one and one last week. So back-to-back weeks with at least one receiving and one rushing touchdown each. And I was looking at it earlier, but there was like, I think 40, 50-plus guys that have done that in back-to-back games. So one receiving touchdown, one rushing touchdown in two-plus games. So it, it's, you know, it, it's kind of, it's definitely definitely a unique thing, but it's definitely been done a lot of, you know, like Austin Eckler, I think. I did it like three or four times, but there was only one guy that did it did it once. And I wish I remember his name. If IT was here and IT wasn't out with Fataport, we could uh, have somebody check in. But we're going fact checklist tonight. And hopefully, hopefully this hasn't been super. Hopefully there's not like the camera's out of whack. The mic audio's off. We're not cutting everywhere because when IT's not here, things fall apart. But if Debo Samuel gets a receiving and a rushing touchdown next week, then he moves. He becomes that guy. He moves into rare territory. It becomes an historic thing, and I bet you can get pretty pretty decent plus odds. Now, I don't, I don't think you can bet, like you can't bet if a guy has a receiving and a rushing. You can just bet a generic just touchdown, either way. So I guess you know you could obviously do Debo Samuel two plus touchdowns, but if they had it like a specific prop, they should somebody one of the sports books if they want to link up with us this week and do a prop. Debo Samuel, one plus rushing, one plus rushing touchdown, one plus receiving touchdown. We'll we'll link up. We can let's get that on one of the 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 sports books because it again moves Debo Samuel in historic territory. Be a fun thing that it happens. And when he he had that play, I I it wasn't necessarily a big yardage play, but I was in the red zone. I think over the middle, got down to like the one yard line. Brock Purdy throws like a slant in route, whatever over the middle. Debo Samuel gets down to the one, and then Kyle Shanahan like immediately comes back the next play, pause, draws up a play for Debo Samuel, jet sweep, rushing touchdown, gets it in, and I think getting it in as a rushing touchdown too. I mean, it's you know you could say that's a, a more automatic way to do it, but did uh did Shanahan know what he was doing there specifically as well too? So be on the lookout. But yeah, definitely the Debo Samuel stretch of the season again. You know Tyreek. The consistency, the production, it's all been there. Dealing with, he dealt with a little bit with injury in this uh, past Monday night game against Tennessee, which kind of like a sneaky, a sneaky big loss for him. Definitely helps the Bills in their playoff race. Definitely, of course, keeps the AFC playoff picture interesting. But I mean, Tyreek, he's going to hit me, might definitely hit 2,000. Like it's very, very possible right now that he hits 2,000 yards. I know you need to be on like a, 117 something point something yard per pace 
if you if you're at one seventeen and a half, you're definitely getting it. And he's at like one eighteen plus. He's definitely on track right now. But Debo Samuel touchdowns, the just the the, the insane CD Lamb numbers that we saw, and of just the AJ Brown physical dominance over those last couple of weeks was uh, definitely some of the most impressive. So I mean, Jefferson to start the season, Jamar Chase had his games. Puka Nakua, Puka Nakua, you know, rookies start to the season, whatever. Puka Nakua is like the greatest four games to start your career in NFL history ever. I mean, it's, you know, the receivers this year have been fantastic. You know, poor Devontae Adams just being stranded out there with uh, Aiden O'Connell and Jimmy G just getting left out of the whole thing. I don't, who else is getting left out? DJ Moore? You know, DJ Moore had a 200-yard game. Are we still in DJ Moore needs a quarterback territory? DJ Moore, are we in DJ Moore is getting a quarterback? As in Fields is playing better or as in they're going to get Caleb Williams? But the Niners continue to roll on. They basically only have one hard game left against the Ravens. So as long as they take care of business, they should be fine. And they should stay the number one seed in the NFC. But a team that has definitely fallen out of the number one seed in their conference has been the Chiefs. I guess they weren't the number one seed last week as well either. Were, were they? There? Were they? I, I, don't, I don't remember exactly what the standings looked like last week. But they're definitely not right now after losing to the bills you you know we won't you know we won't say too much about the chiefs while while sam's out you know we're, we won't we won't talk behind about sam's team behind his back but you know the mahomes the mahomes passer rating splits by quarter if you go and look at him it is pretty interesting this year because you know the this is this game was not just obviously the chiefs receivers messing up again but the Mahomes frustration, as it's been documented at this point, just to to be at this stage in his career for the first time, you know, he handles that moment. It is what it is. It's not a, it's not a big deal. But to see that at least that like this, hey, this is where the team has brought this guy. We'll have to see what our guy Sam thinks about that. But Mahomes himself, you know, this last game against the Bills seemed like he was throwing some balls into the dirt. Pause a little bit in this game. Definitely underthrew. You know, I would. I don't want to say is I. I don't want to do the Sam and say you know the LeBron best game ever. This is the most underthrows I've ever seen in Mahomes' career. But if somebody has a number on that, tweeted our guy Fatiport. I would uh like to see what where where it stacks up because he was doing it in this game, and for the season, Mahomes passer rating splits by quarter in the first quarter ninety eight, one hundred two in the second quarter one hundred point seven in the third quarter, and then sixty eight. In the fourth quarter, and again, you know, a, there is a lot of hey, the the game, t- the game deciding type decisions that the Chiefs or type plays that the Chiefs receivers are making, the costly mistake that the Chiefs are making at the end of the games. Well, yeah, those are happening in the fourth quarter. So all the drops and all the big plays that Mahomes is getting not in the fourth quarter, it's going to affect his passer rating. But you know, like we pointed out, like we were saying, even going back to the Eagles games, you know, there's just been plays mixed in there where. When you don't, you know, they don't have the margin for error at receiver right now. They just, they don't have Tyreek Hill. Travis Kelsey is definitely playing better over the last couple of weeks. He's been more consistent. I think he's like 90 yards, 80 yards, 80 yards. So the, the, the production is leveled out. And I, his season numbers are still going to look really good. I mean, he's still going to hit 1,000 yards or whatever. Five. He's already at five touchdowns. So he's going to have a productive year. But 
they don't have the margin for error at the quarterback position. And Mahomes, he's still been one of the best quarterbacks in the league. He's been fantastic. But when they don't have the margin for error and they're making the errors, I mean, it's led to this Mahomes frustration. So again, it's hard to criticize Mahomes when you just look at their losses and go, okay, well, they're, you know, eight and five, but they're five losses. You know, three of them is, you know, Tony in the first game, one, there's no Kelsey and Chris Jones, but Tony has the worst game ever statistically recorded by a receiver. You have the MVS drop in Philly. Tony is offsides again in Buffalo. So that's three games right there where it's like, is that one play that, or, you know, three plays or whatever in the Detroit game for Tony, but is that, you know, four plays for three losses? And then the Packers, the Packers game and the Broncos game, you know, the Broncos game, they definitely played poorly and lost. Packers game, they probably lost that one as well. They're just, you know, the calls definitely went both ways. The late hit, like they well, they lost that game. It is what it is. So, you know, those two, but there's definitely a lot of plays where it's like, okay, this is not on Mahomes and he's been fantastic and he's scrambling around. He's using his legs. He's creating, he's getting this team down the field somehow. But again, his last six games, the team is two and four. He's eight touchdowns, five interceptions, an 83.9 quarterback rating. So, you know, quarterback rating for this long of a stretch in the season. For Mahomes, you'd have to go back to 2021 to find a stretch like this anyways, where it's comparable where, you know, he played, you know, we'll, we'll say like statistically, we're just looking at the passer rating. We'll say where, where he's played, where the passer rating is this low, you know, quote unquote, this bad. But they didn't have the, like when he was playing poorly, they still were kind of winning the games. If you look at the, if you look at the 2021 season, like the Baltimore lost early in the early in the season. He played well in that game. I forget who they played the next week, but he played pretty well in that game as well, too. I know the pass rating on that game as well. So the stretch that he played, like there was that Tennessee game in there where he played poorly, the team lost. That was like a real low point for him during that season. But they didn't really have the mismatch right now where like this Bills game is a perfect example where he didn't play well. The receivers didn't play well. They were undisciplined. They like they're still in the game, which is the thing about all these games. They're still in all of these games. One play, two plays. They're they're right there. And they they actually make the play that wins and pulls ahead. And you know, Kelsey, it all gets called back. It's all for nothing. And then Mahomes breaks free. Like this is the first time he's had the losing, and it just I don't want to say, you know, it's all on Mahomes. It's definitely more on the receivers and all that than it is on Mahomes. But like it definitely goes around for everybody right now. And it definitely the team needs to clean some stuff up. Team needs to get back on track. And again, I think, you know, big picture going into the playoffs. I right now going into the AFC pay, playoff picture, I would still pick the Chiefs to win this. I just would trust Mahomes still more than any of these guys to figure it out, turn it around, win three games, get to the Super Bowl. Again, nobody else in the AFC has really, has really given them problems. But, you know, you think Miami with Tyreek would give them problems. They look good against Miami. Baltimore. Do they uh do they play Baltimore coming up at all? We'll see if uh we'll see if that matchup's on the horizon because uh that would that would be a big matchup. It doesn't look like it though. Baltimore with Jacksonville, San Francisco, and Miami. Some real test matchups for them. I guess you could say the one team that has given them problems lately has been the Bills and has been Josh Allen because not only you know has the team been playing well. Not only has the team not been playing well, Mahomes not been playing well, and they've been losing, but Allen has kind of outplayed Mahomes now in four straight games. 
And I know, you know, the last four games, they're one and three versus the, the Chiefs are one and three versus the Bills. And that one win was a big one too, is in the playoffs. And it was the, the 13 second game. It's, you know, that, that's the one that counts. But again, that 13 second game, Josh Allen was fantastic and Mahomes was fantastic as well. But, you know, and then that, 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 that game is definitely picking it to say who played better. But in, in the regular season matchup is last, last year as well. Like, take out what has happened the rest of the season this year. This regular season matchup against the Bills is not a lot different from last year's regular season matchup against the Bills. Mahomes in that game as well, too. Like, he had the costly interception at the end of the game, and Allen played well in that game. And, you know, they, Allen, they got beat by the Bengals. The Chiefs beat the Bengals in the playoffs. There was never really a chance for Allen to, you know, get that rematch with stakes like, like that. But in these regular season games that he's been playing against him recently, he's been showing up and he wasn't really the one that's to blame for that 13 second point loss anyways. So again, I still trust the Chiefs. I pick them to be in the Super Bowl. I think, you know, with it, it, the defense is playing this well and your your problem is, hey, Mahomes needs to make like two more good passes a game and we'll be fine. Like two more good passes and let's just, <laughs> let's just take away the Kadarius Tony minutes that's the playoff adjustment, then I still trust the team. I still think they're in a good position. I still think Chris Jones is, you know, top five player in the NFL. Like he's just dominant when he turns it up. He's been, you know, like we said, it stretches. You could argue the best player on the team, but there's, they're still fine. So achieves Niners Super Bowl. Like, like who knows if, if that's what we're going to get. But Again, this is a stretch run. So headed into the stretch run, we definitely know the Niners are playing well, but the Cowboys playing well with Dak Prescott's playoff history. Even Lamar like has his own playoff questions. Like the only guy in the league right now without playoff questions is Patrick Mahomes. That's why I guess we all trust him the most out of all of these questions or out of all out of all of these teams. So this I think, you know, final month, these last four games, this stretch run of the NFL season is going to be interesting because even last year, I think with we we knew the Chiefs were the top team, and this year again, I think we all trust them as the top team. But them going on the road is going to be a different look as well, too, which is just insane that Mahomes has not played a road playoff game in a half decade plus into the league, and not even one is crazy. And I don't know if that means they've been the number one seed in the AFC, but I'm just assuming that they've it's because they've been the number one seed in the AFC. Maybe there was a two seed year in there. And they, you know, they got they got fortunate by playing a lower seed that way. But just the Mahomes dom- dominance is incredible. It's why all of these guys' resumes look the way they do. And until they, un- I guess, until they prove that they're actually getting beat by these teams, that's where it becomes an issue. Because I still, right now, and you know, we'll see what Sam says, but the Chiefs are still kind of beating themselves. And even in this Bills game, again, they kind of beat themselves. Allen plays well, but the Philly game with the drops, the Detroit game with the drops. If, if they actually start getting beat by teams, then it's a problem. Maybe they're just fortunate they haven't played the Niners in the regular season yet. Okay, we are going to mix in a little NBA as well, too. I don't think we really talked to NBA at all in the Tuesday pod. Our guy Fataport is a football guy, one of the best football, best football follow in the business. He's the only guy you guys should be following right now on Twitter. So go follow our guy at Ian Fataport. But since he's not here, we're going to mix in a little NBA. But we've been talking a lot of college football with our guy Fataport. So there's a couple of college football things 
we want to mention quickly before we do the NBA bit we're going to do, which I'm not going to lie. It's a bit of a swing, so we're going to stick it at the end, but I think it's, I think it's fun. I think you're going to like it. So stick around, see what's up. But there's a couple of college football notes that we will mention quickly. The first one being the Heisman Trophy was handed out yesterday or when we're recording this. We're recording this on Fatiport's birthday. So yeah, they hand out the Heisman the day before Fatiport's birthday, I think is the way they have it scheduled. Jaden Daniels, LSU. Gets the Heisman. I don't. I don't know if it's controversial because if you look at him statistically, like he absolutely should win it. His production. I think was his. Did his passer rating finish out as the number one season in passer rating of all time? But he got to the fifty touchdown threshold as well too, and just across the board in all the passing stats was one of the best. Oh, excuse me, one of the best uh, quarterbacks across the board for college football, but. This is, again, a strange year for the college football landscape. Like, you know, kind of a strange year for the NFL. Strange year for college football. And in fact, this could be these guys shifting around. But this is definitely one of the bigger slides that we've seen, for the team anyways, from where they were at in pole position. And I think a lot of people were conflicted on that, on Jaden Daniels winning the Heisman Trophy because of that, because Bo Nix on the other side, you know, Oregon at the end of the season, ultimately Bo Nix, Really, he lost the Heisman in that Pac-12 championship. He goes out there and plays well because, you know, his completion percentage was right up there. But, you know, they're still eighth in the AP poll as of right now. So they haven't really slid that far. And maybe they've even gone up from where they were originally placed to start the season. But LSU to start the year this year was ranked fifth overall. and. As of right now, they currently rank 13th. And there is there is bowl games involved, and they, they could potentially move up. You know, I know in the, the the new college football playoff format, the this is the ranking that would matter. They would miss the 12-team playoff as well, too, sliding in 13th. But to fall from 5 to 13th is one of the farthest, again, one of the farthest slides that we've seen for the team from the Heisman Trophy player. And I'm not questioning Daniels winning the Heisman I think statistically he checked all the boxes. And if you look, if you look at the losses that he has had, they were all against good teams. Lost to Florida State, lost to Alabama, and they lost to Old Miss. And that game was a shootout, and he was fantastic. And it's they were a top 10 team for a lot of the year. A really tough opponent. And, you know, again, he played well in these games. He could definitely, if he plays well in that Alabama game, that helps. But a three-loss team all in eight spots and if you look at the other biggest slides for the team for the player that won the Heisman Trophy the the biggest one all time is 1985 Bo Jackson Jackson, the Auburn team that he was on that season headed into the season ranked second overall preseason number two team in the nation they dropped to number 16 by the time the bowl games finish and they ended up finishing on rank. So I did a little, I did the Wikipedia d- deep dive on Bo Jackson to see what was up, but I'm going to have to go back and watch the documentary to see what happened that season. Cause I know, you know, the end of, end of the Bo Jackson run the last couple of years there, there was some stuff with baseball, two sports, him and Auburn NFL, you know, he was, he had his complications, but he won the Heisman trophy that year. So he, the, he was able to be on the field enough to, garner that 
award. But the team in general did not finish well and lost their bowl game, finished on rank two. So that's the part I don't know if Bo Jackson didn't play in that bowl game. And then, you know, they, you know, they fall two to 16. It's not really falling two down rank for Bo Jackson anyways. But that's where the team finished. Otherwise, you've got 1990 Ty Detmer, BYU. They were over preseason overall 16. And they were actually 13th headed into their bowl game, but they got destroyed in their bowl game. I go look that score back up. I think they got like 50 or 60 hung on them and dropped to 22 in the final poll. So in the final poll, they ended up finishing 22, dropped from 16 to 22. And 2007, the Tim Tebow Heisman year, they went into the season fit ranked six and they were ranked ninth headed into their bowl game as well too. So they didn't really drop, lost their bowl game, fell to 13th. And then, you know, Tebow goes on, wins a couple of national trophies, but the Jaden Daniels slide and not playing well in that Alabama game, you know, I just, nobody in general really had the, the Heisman moment, which is, you know, I, again, I'm not trying to discredit the Jaden Daniels Heisman thing here, but it is, uh, Again, it's just the the, the team. I, I think we're looking at why the perception might be the way it is looking at it. Because I, I think if you look at the numbers in the season that he had, and again, nobody else really having that Heisman moment, I think it makes sense. Because the other, the other guys that I think really missed out on the Heisman trophy, and, you know, Penix was second. Bonix, again, was leading the Heisman race into the weekend. And, Basically, basically lost it. That's another thing as well, too. Like when it's when it's Daniels winning on a poor Bo Nix performance, there's that to factor in as well, too. So, you know, those guys definitely lost out as well, too. But I think the number one guy that definitely lost out was Jordan, Jordan Travis, Florida State. And, you know, he the 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 numbers for Travis compared to Daniels, I think even if you factor in the, the last couple of games that he would would have played still would have been a little bit short of what Daniels would have done, but his touchdown interception ratio was fantastic before his injury 20 to two. And they would have been undefeated probably, you know, still won. they still won the ACC. So they would have won the conference championship as well. And you could have made the case that they would have been the number one overall team in the country. So just all those things lined up. And again, his production being solid, efficient, number one team undefeated. Like he definitely could have had the case. So obviously, you know, FSU, Jordan Travis, it's unfortunate. It's just it. I, I you know, you don't want to you don't want to say it is what it is because it's just it's a bummer that he got hurt and that we didn't get to see what that Florida State team would have been like. And, you know, the thing is, like, again, it's a deep field this year. Somebody wanted some of these teams were going to be disappointed. This was the most this was this was the year where the teams that were left out could actually make a case and actually complain that they got left out. And I know, you know, the FSU, the conference championships, I think Georgia just the eye test. So. It's unfortunate for Jordan Travis for FSU. Georgia is the other one. And I think, you know, a tight end winning the Heisman Trophy seems unlikely. But in a, in a year like this where the Heisman Trophy winner is, uh, you know, off, off a 9-3 and three team. And again, that's, that's, uh, that's not a, supposed to be a disrespectful comment. But Brock Bowers was, you know, before he got hurt, the three games before he got hurt, he had 121 yards and two touchdowns, 157 and one touchdown in 132 two yards and one touchdown. And then, you know, he ends up getting injured. And even when he returns is not really the same Georgia, they end up losing the conference championship, fall out of the playoff race. So, you know, I, I again, a tight end, it's a long shot, but just as one of the better players as 
if he just has an insane run, if you're looking at these numbers and going, wow, he's what, wait, it's not even a tight end at this point. It's a receiver. Like he's doing the same thing, Marvin Harrison, whatever. Like I just saying, like if Georgia is able to maintain that number one position, you're looking at somebody on that team to reward in some way. And the other guy that lost out, and I don't think it's a Homer thing, but JJ McCarthy as well, too, who got his Heisman votes. And if you look at the overall stats, he just there the case wasn't there, the overall yards, touchdowns, whatever. But you know, him and Blake Corum, and you could have said you you could say, you know, it goes both ways, but him and Blake Corum definitely took stats and votes away from each other. Corum, you know, I think he ended up with I don't even remember what the final touchdown number was this year. It was it was insane, and it felt like every time they were with you know on the goal line. Oh, excuse me again. Within a <laughs> within a scoring range, they were just handing it to Blake Corum. Yeah, twenty plus touchdowns on the season for Blake Corum. Twenty four touchdowns total. So you know, give McCarthy like a few of those. You know, maybe maybe the numbers pump up a little bit. Get him a couple more yards, but. I mean, McCarthy did everything a Heisman was supposed to do. Again, if we're looking at the Jordan Kravis case, like they're the number one team in the country right now. They're undefeated. They won their conference. And the again, the the stats that are like the the quote unquote production stats are the, the yards, the amount of touchdowns, all, all important things. But the stats where it was like the performance stats, you know, the quote unquote analytic type stuff, like McCarthy was just as good in all of these other stats as the other quarterbacks in the league or in the, you know, in college football, only quarterbacks in college football this year with a 70% completion percentage and a 9.9. So basically 10 adjusted yards per attempt or higher. The only quarterbacks in the nation with that this year were Jaden Daniels, Bo Nix and JJ McCarthy, those three guys. So again, like the performance stats, the stats that were how well is JJ McCarthy playing? The team success, all the stuff was there for McCarthy to win the Heisman. Just the overall stuff fell fell short. And, you know, again, Daniels, the season was fantastic. I think historically it lines up with the way a bunch of other Heisman winners has performed. And, you know, again, with nobody else really having the standout season in a way, it makes sense to award it to the guy that had the statistically significant season. I'm not against that, but... You know, looking at the landscape, if Jordan Travis stays healthy, you know, just the whole FSU thing, I think it definitely shifts the uh, the college football season and, you know, the playoff picture, the Heisman race. And, you know, he was still on the outside looking in before, you know, he only missed what, like two or three games. It wasn't a huge chunk, but so like so much happened over those last couple of games. I mean, that's the the Ohio State Michigan game, the Georgia Alabama game, you know, all these big things, the the. Big 12, Texas looks awesome. Penix and Bo Nix, and they face off again. And all of these things are happening. And if just all of these guys are beating up on each other, FSU keeps on chugging. You know, there's a very good case that Jordan, we see Jordan Travis hoisting the Heisman Trophy at the end of the season. But again, you know, I, I want to make it very clear that Jaden Daniels is a deserving Heisman Trophy winner. It was a fantastic season. And I think all of those, like, you know, strong losses, Hopefully that's a compliment to him as well too. Again, that LS or the Ole Miss loss, he was he was awesome. The Florida State loss and the Bama loss, those are phenomenal teams, and his overall numbers were amazing for the season. So much deserved. Congratulations to Jaden Daniels for taking home 
the Heisman Trophy. The second LSU quarterback to do it, and that's like the last five years. We, you know, LSU, DBU, we definitely didn't, I definitely didn't think they would become QBU, quarterback U, but Joe Burrow, Jaden Daniels, and again, with the Heisman Trophy and with the statistical numbers, it, he's he's going to be like a top 15 pick in this year. Right? Just, I think, let's see what Tankathon has him at right now because he's been moving up the rankings and I know, you know, they've they've been slow to move Penix up as well, too. It's like McCarthy, I feel like they're moving up faster than they were on Penix. There's an agent injury thing with Penix. I get it. The draft people don't attack me. But they have Yeah, they've they've got Jaden Daniels up to six right now. Papa Price, they've got Jaden Daniels going to the Raiders at number six. Papa Price, call in. Do we like the sound of that? And maybe, you know, that's, that's one spot. Jane Daniel might be a top five pick in the NFL draft this year. I mean, again, it's, it's, a, it's a well-deserved, it's deserved. And I think, you know, Tankathon, shout out to Tankathon. They do a good job over there. They're good people. Uh, Tankathon, call in or the draft show will do at some point. But, I, you know, I feel like they're, they're very up to date. And I like a lot of boards, you know. I feel like this reflects probably where what a lot of people are thinking about Jaden Daniels. So he definitely deserved to win the Heisman. Fantastic season. Shout out Jaden Daniels. Shout out Jaden Daniels. Now, for the final NBA thing we'll do here. Is it I don't I don't know. Is it a game? Is it a bit? I'm not sure what it is. Back when we thought this was going to be a website, this would have been a piece. Back in the early Rem and Sam days. This would have been an article back when back when we thought this was going to be a website. And then we realized none of our friends read. We got young friends. I, I, <laughs> should, should I team bleep that out? We've got, you know, they're, they're our age. They're, uh, they're, you know, they're guys that don't read. None of us read these days. So we'll just, <laughs> we'll just leave it at that and uh, move on. But uh, the final NBA thing we're going to do is, you know, the in-season tournament, just wrapped for the first time ever in NBA history. And, you know, it's just, again, it's a, you know, it's a solo episode where it's just, it's just us hanging out here. There's no Sam, no fat port. So we'll break down the full in-season tournament. We'll react to, you know, what we like, what we didn't like, the games, LeBron, Vegas, Zion, all, you know, all that stuff. We'll react to it on the Friday pod with Sam, or I guess on the Saturday pod when you guys listen to it. So this weekend, you know, we'll be breaking down the full in-season tournament. But for this episode, we got the people at Rem and Sam's research department. We got the statistics people, the research people. We got them busy this week and we wanted to do like a historical in-season tournament. Now, I'm going to, I, you know, I'm going to lie. This, there's probably a more thorough, better way to do this, but for this week, we're going to do a historical in-season tournament. Now, the the original way we wanted to do this to pick a year was we wanted to do a year with Michael Jordan in it. So we just thought, hey, it's 2023, 2024 year. Let's go back. MJ played the 90s, 30 years. It will do the 30 year ago in-season tournament with Michael Jordan. It'll be awesome. Go back to 93, 94. And oh yeah, that's the season that 
MJ is not in the league. MJ would have been in Vegas for the in-season tournament that year, but he would not have been at the games. Or maybe he wouldn't have been in Vegas. Maybe that's the reason that he wouldn't have been at the games. Who knows? But 93-94, there is no MJ in the NBA. So we'll just, we'll go. we just like, okay, well, the research is, we'll go back one more season, the 92-93 NBA season. So we're going to do the in-season tournament from the 1992-93 NBA season. And, you know, the, the, there's a couple of things now that are different about the league. And again, you know, the in-season tournament, there's different rules. We could have done this a little bit more thoroughly. So the in-season tournament rules, just to clarify, all of the teams in the league are separated into groups based, you know, they're, they're divided into a, you know, they, they call it a, like a pot. All the teams are put into a pot, drawn into separate groups. They play individually in their groups. Each team that wins their group advances to the playoffs with one wild card from each conference, and then they go into a single elimination tournament. So we just decided to stick with the groups that the league had divided up this year because the the way they divided up the groups this year was like there were specific ways to do it based on record like the previous seasons. And again, you know, well, there's only so much research you can do between pods. So, you know, maybe we could do this a little bit more thorough, but we stuck with the groups that the NBA had laid out this season. And there's a, there's been a couple of changes over the last 30 years to the NBA. So the big one, first one is there's a couple of more teams. So three more teams have been added in the last 30 years. You've got the Raptors, you know, the new Orleans, Charlotte thing. They're the, the Hornets, Pelicans split, whatever those franchises become. The Raptors, the Pelicans, and the Grizzlies as well, too, were in the league. So some of the groups, you know, the the groups that those teams were in this year were a little bit smaller. Group E, group, as if, yeah, group C. And then as if you guys here are like locked in on the, as if we're all locked in on the, who was in each group. But uh, we've also got, who was the other one? The, Pelicans, the Raptors, and the the Grizzlies. I forgot which one I said. But yeah, the, those groups are going to be one team less. And the scheduling is different too as well between the 90s and now. So there's the, the schedule's a little bit more spread out. There's less back-to-backs. You know, they're trying to give the players a little bit more breaks. So they would have like been starting the season when the in-season tournament started this year. The season was starting at the beginning of November versus now the season starts, you know, mid-ish end October, third week of October. You have a couple of weeks in there to get warmed up and then you get into the in-season tournament. So you could start the in-season tournament right away. But again, they gave them a little bit of time. It was about nine to 10 games for each team this season before the in-season tournament actually started. So for the 92-93 in-season tournament, we're going to go with a December tournament. So we pick games between December 1st and December 18. And we just, again, we use the groups that the NBA laid out this year and the schedule that the teams already played. So, you know, they would have built the schedule this year to, uh, to align with their in-season tournament groups, you know, play all that out. Obviously, 
they wouldn't necessarily be playing group games, but we games played on Tuesday and Friday between December 1st and December 18th, 92, 1992, were designated as the in-season preseason, the in-season tournament games for this year. And, you know, again, the, the group winners, they go to a playoff stage and then you know, they're in a knockout round. So they wouldn't have actually done this tournament. They wouldn't have actually played the knockout round. So we'll have to play the knockout round ourselves. But we've got the games that they played on those Tuesdays and those Fridays, the groups that the teams were in this year. And we'll figure out what these teams' records were to get to the group winners and the wild card for the in-season tournament. So the winners in the East for their groups, we've got the first group, Group A. Do we want to read all the teams that are in each group? But Group A, the Pistons won Group A with a 4-0 record, clean sweep. The Knicks won Group B with a 4-0 record as well. This is where it gets interesting, Group C, because again, we're trying to get MJ in the mix here. We're wanting to do an MJ-centric season. LeBron wins his in-season tournament. Let's see what MJ would have done in his in-season tournament. Well, Group C, we're just, again, kind of randomly doing all this. Group C is where the Celtics were, the Nets were, the Magic were, the Raptors were in this year, so they wouldn't have been there in the 92-93 season. And this is the group that Bulls were in as well. The Celtics and the Bulls both finished with a 2-2 and record in these games that we had picked. Goes to point differential for a tiebreaker. And the Celtics win the point differential tiebreaker. So the Bulls don't win their group for this in-season tournament matchup. Now, there is one wildcard team for the East as well. And the Bulls miss out on that. The Going back to Group A, the Pacers were 3-1 and one in Group A. So they finished, you know, the, the Pistons won this group with 4-0, but as the, the rest of the non-group winners, 3-1 and one in the East for these in-season tournament games that we had picked was the next best record. So the Bulls this year, and we, we'll, we'll, we'll revisit the Bulls at the end, don't worry, but the Bulls this year were fantastic in December, you know, 92-93, it's the 90s. They won the finals. MJ was awesome. But the in-season tournament, the games that we had picked, they didn't win and they didn't end up getting in. And it's kind of funny because you got the Denver on the other, you know, this year, 20 in the in this in-season tournament, best team in the league, Jokic at the peak of his powers, and they don't advance to the knockout round in Vegas. You know, there's injuries and stuff involved for them. But interesting how that, you know, kind of parallels the in-season tournament that we have going for this 90s run. So for the East teams, we've got the... Uh, so the the We'll read them in the order of the seeds that they're in. We've got the, the Knicks as the one seed, 4-0 with the best point differential. The Pistons as the two seeds, Celtics as the three seed, the Pacers as the four seed as the one wildcard team. And the group winners in the West were... The Phoenix Suns win their group at 4-0. They're the one seed. The Sonics win their group. So OKC this year, the Sonics in 92-93 win their group at 3-1. And And the Clippers, the Los Angeles Clippers, 30 years ago, 92-93, 
win their group at three and one. And we get one wild card team in here. Unfortunately, it isn't the Spurs. The Spurs this season, at least uh, this uh, December, they went up one and three in these in season tournament games that we had. Some close ones in here, you know, a five point overtime loss to the Nets, a six point overtime loss to the Lakers. But Spurs not in as a wild card. The Jazz get in as the wild card on a point differential tiebreaker between them and the Denver Nuggets missing out on the in-season tournament again. So we've got for the West, Suns, Sonics, Clippers, Jazz as our four in-season tournament teams. And to quickly, you know, go through these teams, what we're looking for, what we're looking at here in 92-93. And to start with the East, Again, the one seed Knicks, this kind of makes sense because this year they actually were the one seed in the East, a 60 and 22 record. Ewing this season was 24 and a half points a game, 11 rebounds, over two and a half blocks, second team all NBA, and fourth in MVP voting. So you've got Pat Riley as a coach, John Starks, Charles Oakley, you know, the whole early 90s, mid 90s group. They would end up, you know, they would go on to lose to the Bulls in the Eastern Conference Finals. As you do in the 90s when you play the Bulls in the playoffs, you lose. They lost 2-4 to four in the East Finals versus the Bulls. They are playing the four-seed 1992-93 Pacers, who were the, the eight-seed this year in the playoffs, played the Knicks in the first round in real life and lost in the playoffs 1-3 to three in that seven-game series. 41 and 41 on the regular season. You've got Reggie Miller at 21 points a game. Detlef Schrempf, a little Detlef Schrempf at 19 points a game, nine and a half assists, six or, or sorry, nine rebounds, six assists for our guy, Detlef Schrempf. Let's double check that. Maybe it is nine and a half. Maybe it is nine and a half assists. Is Det- I mean, of course, Detlef Schrempf is, well, you know, you don't want to say anybody's the first Jokic, but. <laughs> the first white guy to throw passes in the NBA. Yeah, nine, nine, nine and a half rebounds, six assists for our guy, Detlef Schrempf. Made the all-star team that year as well. You got Rick Schmitz off the bench. So, you know, the, again, you know they, they took a game off the, pl- the Knicks in the playoffs, but the Knicks get the series. The Knicks were the number one seed in the East this year. So they probably take the one-game elimination game against the 1992-93 Indiana Pacers. And for the other matchup in the East, the two versus the three, we've got the the Detroit Pistons who finished the season this season, 1992-93. This is a couple of seasons removed from winning their titles. This is the first season after Chuck Daly leaves. They've still got a couple of the core guys there. Isaiah Thomas is there. Joe Dumars, Lambeer. Rodman is there as well, too. This is actually Rod- Rodman's final season. And this is Isaiah Thomas's second to last season, his final all-star season in the NBA. They finished the season 40 and 42 overall record, the 10th seed in the East. So, you know, if they get the modern NBA rules, they're in the play-in game. But because they didn't actually have the in-season tournament and actually have the play-in game in this year, they unfortunately missed the playoffs. But 
Rodman was in and out this season. And with Rodman in the lineup, they're 26 or they're 36 and 26 on the season, four and 16 without Rodman that year. First team, all at all defense, even though he played 55 games. Dumars this year was an all star and second team all NBA, 23 and a half points a game. And Isaiah Thomas, like we said earlier, all star as well, 17 and a half points a game, eight and a half assists still manages to pull something together. So early in the season with Rodman playing, you know, the thing is with the in-season tournament games being on a Friday, I don't know if that affects Rodman in a good way, a bad way, but if he's in the lineup early in the year, Dumars is scoring points. Maybe they're actually able to make a run because, you know, it's not like all of the teams in the in-season tournament this year were necessarily at the top. The Lakers, I think, were the five seed in the West going into the playoffs or going into the in-season tournament as well too it's not like they're the 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 number 1 seed so this i kind of like that this pistons team managed to win their group and stumble in and they're playing the 92 93 celtics who were a good regular season team 48 and 34 number 4 overall in the east you've got kevin McHale in his final season at 35 robert parish at 39 still giving you something Reggie Lewis, 20-plus points a game. But, again, a good regular season team. Xavier McDaniels, D. Brown, a a young D. Brown. But they did did lose in the first round of the actual playoffs this year to the Charlotte Hornets. And, again, they're the 4C. It's a 4-5 matchup. The Larry Johnson, uh, Alonzo Mourning, Del Curry, Muggsy Bowes group of guys over there in Charlotte. And I should have mentioned as well when we first started, but we were, you know, we, we did the research, ran, ran all the numbers. Shout out to, shout out to the Rev and Sam research department for putting this all together, crunched all the numbers, but we also got to shout out what if sports.com, what if sports.com, because we were doing a bunch of like actual game simulations for these teams. So if you want to run the simulation, this they're not paying us. This is not an ad or anything. It's just what we use. We're just, uh, this is, I guess, the work cited in the middle, just making sure we're shouting out. If if you want to go run the simulations of the teams, you can go put in whatever team and year, whatever, and just, uh, just like run a game, figure it out. So we crunch the numbers. So there's some stats. There's there's a whole algorithm, algorithm of stuff that went into figuring out this in-season tournament. And one of the pieces of it, was the simulations that we ran over at whatifsports.com. And probably the best simulation that we ran was the simulation between the Pistons and the Celtics. And first one that we got was actually a 80, 88 to 90 victory for the Pistons. So a close game, you know, you got McHale, seven for 11, 15 points off the bench. You've got, Daniels giving you 20. You've got Dumars putting 28 on the Celtics. Rodman with a 12 and 17. This was that was honestly my my favorite game that that we had. It was a close game. Stats, I like the way the stats looked. And the uh, Pistons. I think, you know, again, you know, the the Celtics, they drop it in the playoffs. Pistons earlier in the year with Rodman. They're a feisty team. I think in a one game, Dumars can put some points on them. And I think they get the win. So you've got a Knicks-Pistons semifinals in the East. 
And this is a tough one because the Knicks were a regular season powerhouse this year. Again, 60 wins, Ewing at the peak of his powers, doing the two-way thing. But with Rodman, you know, Lambeer as well too, a little on the older side, but he's still going to give you some minutes. He's still going to give it, make it, you know, he's still still going to be feisty. And Rodman defensively is at the peak of his powers right now. And if you look at the actual regular season matchup from this year, they split the regular season two to two between them and the Pistons. I know the Pistons end up missing the playoffs, but a lot of that has to do with Rodman being out of the lineup for those games. And Joe Dumars only played in three of those four matchups against the Knicks. And they, the Knicks were one and two versus the Pistons with Dumars. Dumars was putting up 28 points a game on the Knicks that year. I think, you know, one game in Vegas, single game elimination. I think the Pistons might take this one. And I know that they didn't make the playoffs in 1992-93, but the Pistons have, from the Eastern Conference, with Dumars, Isaiah Thomas, Dennis Rodman, found themselves in the in-season tournament final in Las Vegas. One last run for the bad boy Pistons. I know, you know, the, the titles were a couple of years away. Jordan, finally, Scottie Pippen. They've taken over, but group play, it's a it's a it's a weird thing. Sometimes the best team doesn't advance. And the Pistons get into the 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 knockout stage. And now all of a sudden, chaos. They're in the final. And they're gonna be playing one of these Western Conference teams. So we've got from the West, Suns Jazz and Sonics Clippers. The Jazz, you know, this is Carl Malone and John Stockton. And Carl Malone is like a decade into his career at this point. It's just insane how long he played. It's insane how long he played after this as well, too. Like he just two separate careers on each side of this season. But this Suns team this year, like we said, they're 4 0 in the in the in-season tournament group play games that we had. And they were another regular season powerhouse, 62 and 20. That year, number one seed in the Western Conference, advance all the way to the finals. Again, as you do in the 90s, you lose to MJ in the playoffs and they lost the finals that year. But this is the Barkley MVP season. They've got seven guys on this team scoring double digits. Barkley is there. You've got Marley, Kevin Johnson, Dumas, Richard Dumas, Cedric Sabalos, Tom Chambers, Danny Ainge as well, too. And in the month of December this year, they were 14 and 0. That month in real life, Barkley on the season was 25, 12, and 5, 52% from the field. And yeah, won the MVP of the league in 1993. It was a fantastic season from Barkley. And I know, you know, Malone Stockton is a feisty combo, but the, the, the Suns have a lot of guys that they can throw at. They, they can throw at Stockton, some guards. There's a lot of scoring as well back on the other end to attack. And and Barkley versus Malone, just at Barkley's peak of his powers from 88 to 96, they were pretty even. They split the matchups 12 to 12 over that time. But Barkley was 25 points a game, 11 rebounds. Malone, 27 points a game, 11 rebounds. But in 93, I know 12 and 12 for the, the their primes, but... In 93, it was Barkley's year. 3-0 and 
versus the Jazz were the Suns with a a ten point point differential in those games. So basically beating them by double digits every time they played them that year. So again, it's a I think it's a close one, but the Suns were you know in the regular season dominant this year. We've seen it from the Suns. We saw it in our lives with Booker and Paul. We saw it here with Charles Barkley and the I don't know do the did the rest of the did they have a, a, a nickname for the group around him in 92, 93? I don't know. But in, in our Sims that we were doing too, as well, like we mentioned, the Suns won seven simulations in a row at one point. They were just, they were dominating. They were uh, definitely a hard team to beat all year that year. So they advance to the semis and they're going to play either the Sonics or the Clippers. The Sonics were the two seed, the three seed in the West that year, but number one overall in the league in net rating. Only team in the league, top five in offense and defense. You've got Sean Kemp at 17 points a game, 10 rebounds. Ricky Pierce leading in the team and scoring at 18 points a game. Gary Payton obviously doing the two-way thing. He was at 13 points a game at this season in his career. And Eddie Johnson as well too, 14 points a game. Lit up it, over the course of the simulations, had a I, I like I like that we're saying simulations. Yes, uh, who knows who is in a simulation here? But uh, you know, over the course of the simulations, Eddie Johnson had a couple of major games that were clutch for the Sonics, and was big all year for him this year in their run to the Western Conference Finals, where they played the Suns. I think we kind of spoiled their fate earlier when we said that the Suns lost to the Bulls in the actual. NBA finals, but that was a nail biter series. And we'll get back to that in a second, but you know, a a two way dominant performance from the, the Sonics this year and the Clippers team that they're playing was a feisty team a 500 team, 41 and 41. I like that both sides. We got like, you know, a Pacers team. That's a 500 team. We got a 500 Clippers team here out of the Western conference. It's, you know, you got to win the right games. That's what's fun about the in season tournament. And they were, you know, 41 and 41 this season, but there was just like this two-year stretch in the 90s where they hired Larry Brown. He was there for two years and then just like surprisingly retired, left on him one day. You know, the not the only thing dramatic that's happened in the Donald Sterling era, but for the two years that Larry Brown was there, they were 45 and 37 and 92 and 41 and 41 in 93. But the 12 seasons before that, they didn't win 40 games. And the 12 seasons after that, they didn't win 40 games either. But this team was Danny Manning at the peak of his powers, one of his all-star seasons, 22 points a game that year, the 1988 number one overall pick. This team had Mark Jackson as well, too. There was a one-year Mark Jackson Clippers run, and this is it. 14 points a game, eight assists, Ron Harper, 10 Norman, Stanley Roberts. I mean, there is some guys on this team they were the seventh seed in the Western Conference in real life and ended up losing to this Supersonics team in the first round. Five game, five game series. Five game series back then for the early rounds of the NBA playoffs in the first round. And they took Seattle, they took Seattle to five. It was two to three. And uh or sorry, that was not a that was for that was for the the Jazz. The the Clippers lost in the first round of the Rockets, two to three. The Rockets were the two seed that year because, uh, yeah, they finished as the seven seed. So they played the two seed Rockets. 
took the Rockets to five games that year. And, you know, with Danny Manning, Ron Harper, catch up on the right night, you never know. And uh, when we were running the simulations, actually, we the first one we ran for this team, the Clippers won the game. And then, like, the Sonics won five in a row after that. But in a one-game situation, you know, th- we're past group stage at this point. We're in the knockout rounds. You never know what could happen. But I still think that this Sonics team is too deep and in the regular season at this point, you know, again, they're the number one team in net rating. I still think they are able to get it done. So we've got a Suns Sonics semifinal matchup in Vegas, which this is like, yes, this is what this, this is what the NBA would be wanting right here. This is, you know, I guess LeBron Giannis couldn't be a semifinal. That would have to be a final, but I get, you know, if it was like LeBron Jokic semifinal, LeBron Curry, this is this is it for that season, at least in the Western Conference. You know, I guess Akeem at that point is there too. There's some, you know, there's some other there's some other stars in terms of individual stars. But as a team, this Sonics team was one of the better teams. Maybe is this more like the Heat teams from back then? I don't know. In terms of record, we need to bring on an historian, Papa Price. Call back in, tell us about these Sonics teams. But they matched up in the playoffs. It was a seven-game series. And these teams, I mean, they're about as even as you can get. I know the Suns were a 60-win team that year. The Sonics were a 70, or not a 70-win, a 55-win team. But the Sonics actually won the regular season series between these teams, 3-2, to two, and over the course of the five games, outscored the Suns 5-43 to... 549. But again, the Suns won the playoff matchup and it was close. The, the seven game series, the Suns scored 754 points and the Sonics scored 753. It was one point over the course of seven games. And it was game seven. It was Charles Barkley with 44 points that sealed the deal for Phoenix. So again, you know, Charles Barkley, this entire season for the Suns in 92 93 was his MVP year. It was his dominant year. And in the four four playoff games, or sorry, four regular season games that Charles Barkley played against the Sonics, he was 30 points a game that year, 11 rebounds. And one of the one of the losses that they had as well, one point loss. So it, you know, a, a bloodbath. And you know, the, the Pistons with Rodman are feisty team waiting for him in the finals. But you could argue whoever had won this game would have advanced, you know, would have won the in-season tournament. So, unfortunately for the Sonics, you know, they I guess they you know, they did get a banner, but not this not this uh not this Sonics group anyways. Not a uh, not this time. They are out of the tournament. So the Suns are playing the Pistons in the in-season tournament final and you know, this Pistons group is a feisty group, but you've got you've got Barkley and Sabalos both in the front line to kind of neutralize Rodman. There's just a lot of scoring again to throw. You know, Marley and Kevin Johnson at the peak of their powers versus Dumars and Thomas just a little bit older at this point. I think as long as Rodman is neutralized, I think the Suns are okay. And I think they're able to get this done. And in the simulations we did, they won seven in a row again. So I think that's like probably the max. I wonder if that's like the max amount of times you can beat a team. I guess it is on ours, you know, on, on what if sports.com. It is uh, the most amount of times 
you can beat a team. But at one point they did it, you know, well, I guess over various points, I think IT is saying that, uh, did somebody come back from IT? Is somebody in the booth? What happened? But IT is saying that multiple Sims now, they've won it seven times in a row. There was one stretch where they, five of the seven games, they won by 20 plus points. I know it's all made up, but all that to say, I think the Suns take the first ever hypothetical in-season tournament. Shout out to our guy, Charles Barkley. Charles Barkley was just fantastic this season. If, you know, if MJ, if MJ wasn't going to do it, in 92, 93, it was going to be Charles Barkley. Char- shout out to the Chuckster. So, you know, in our book, Chuck, you have a ring. You have a ring. It's the it's this first ever actual in-season tournament ring, 1992-1993. And, you know, again, you know, we randomly picked the days, randomly picked the games that it landed on. So it was just random that the Bulls ended up 2-2. Two and two, And they were fantastic the, this December that we picked, too. They actually only lost... The only two losses that they had in the month of December that year were on a Tuesday and a Friday in the games that we ended up having for that team, for the Bulls, playing in their in-season tournament games. So you can go back and look at those, too. And there's some point differential stuff in there as well. But MJ, this whole, you know, 32, 6, and 5, two, almost three steals a game that year but Charles Barkley won the won the regular season MVP his team was again 60 plus wins and really you know I know it's a six game series but if you go back and watch some of the YouTube stuff on the Bulls Suns playoff series there's some you know some good matchups Charles Barkley definitely you know an underrated run for him in the 92-93 season so you know the th- the thing is if MJ is in this tournament I, is, is he probably going to win it sure if he knows that he has to show up for a certain amount of games to win this in-season tournament. Like, if MJ turns up, is MJ probably winning the in-season tournament if we actually do it in whatever version of the year? Yeah, that's probably the case. But, hey, the fun of the in-season tournament is it can be random like this. And, you know, LeBron and the Lakers winning the in-season tournament is not necessarily random. But, again, they are the five seed. And if they if something crazy happens in the playoffs, I you know, are we shocked again? Maybe the 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 Lakers are definitely built more for like they're definitely geared more for the playoffs. But the in season tournament is supposed to create this kind of craziness. You got the Pacers on the other side as well too, doing their thing. The the Pistons in our hypothetical simulation making a run. Maybe it's just the Eastern Conference. Who knows? But shout out shout out to all the guys in our hypothetical first ever nineteen ninety two ninety three in-season tournament. And just to recap the tournament quickly, you've got the Knicks beating the Pacers and Pistons beating the Celtics in the first round. You've got the Knicks over the Pistons in the second round. And in the West, you've got Suns over the Jazz in the first round, Sonics over the Clippers in the first round, Suns over Sonics, and then Suns over Pistons. Now, you know, again, all, you know, we, we could, we, we might go back and do like an actual real see what's going on we might see how far we can take these hypothetical in-season tournament things because you can do you know the group the way they have group play designated this year is based on record in previous years and they're trying to balance it out competitively so everything's spread out and each group is kind of the same and you know and then and then again the schedule is built around playing those games at certain times so who knows what we'll do in the future but Shout out to the Chuckster, Charles Barkley, the the round mound of rebound. One of the one of the thickest 
basketball reference nickname pages that is out there. Let's see how many uh nicknames got the, the leaning tower of pizza, love boat, the Crisco kid, good time blimp, ton of fun. Incredible the incredible bulk. The Prince of Pizza. Two pizza nicknames for our guy Chuckster. Is Chuck Italian? Who knows? The wide load from Leeds. The Chuck Wagon. Sir Charles. He he wins the MVP as well, too. Takes home the trophy. The Suns get a banner, a long-awaited ring for our guy Charles Barkley. So there's the in-season tournament, the Heisman Trophy, some NFL week 13. And no fantasy face-off this week because our guy Fatiport is on a birthday bye. But, and you know, it is also the end of the, the regular season in fantasy as well, too. So, you know, for the daily fantasy season up until this point, I don't know, we, we talked about continuing it, but who knows what we'll do. Maybe we'll think of something new. We'll see what happens. Be back next week to see what we do for the, you know, the little corner at the end. But, to you know, for this for this point in the season, for this point in the season, Dan kind of got me. He got seven weeks on the season. I ended up getting six. So it's a close, close battle, almost 500 either way. But unfortunately, in a two-person league, that means Team Dan is the winner. But for last week's team, I did get him. So his team was Tua McCaffrey. Damian Pierce, CeeDee Lamb, Marvin Mims, Cortland Sutton, Gerald Everett, Parker Washington in the Jets. And again, he plays on DraftKings. He had 94 points, and I on FanDuel had Lamar, Eckler, Zach Moss, Michael Pittman, Devontae Adams, Zay Flowers, Kyle Pitts, Romeo Dobbs in the Lions defense. And had probably my best week of the season, 139.9, which, and again, you know, he beat me by, he was up by two weeks last week with one week going in. So, a meaningless week, but my best week, a good performance, and hopefully, if you listened, won uh, whatever contest you were doing. But yeah, shout out to Fatapart. That's why we got him on. It was a it was a hard fought thing. I thought for a second there there was a stretch in the season where I pulled away, and I thought I was going to get it, but a strong, I think, what three four game win streak there down the stretch, pull away, but we kept it close anyways. So that's this weeks i guess not this week's because we'll be back friday so that's this this version this episode that's what we did this time and friday saturday whatever we'll be back with sam just just follow the pod if you follow the pod if you give us five stars you'll just it'll it'll be in your feed and it'll be there when it drops saturday and then again next tuesday with fataport and then again whenever you know well it doesn't stop we'll be back it's on the youtube it's on the instagram it's everywhere on social media when you type in rem and sam So don't go away. Stick around. Give us five stars. Tell a friend. And thank you for listening. 